Chapter Four, Section Three of the Greek View of Life by Goldsworthy Lowes Dickinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Chapter Four, Section Three Sculpture and Painting. Let us take first the plastic arts, sculpture and painting and to bring into clear relief the greek point of view let us contrast with it that of the modern impressionist to the impressionist a picture is simply an arrangement of colour and line the subject represented is nothing the treatment everything it would be better on the whole not even to know what objects are depicted and to judge the picture by a comparison with the objects or to consider what is the worth of the objects in themselves or what we might think of them if we came across them in the connections of ordinary life is simply to misconceive the whole meaning of a picture for the artist and for the man who understands art all scales and standards disappear except that of the purely aesthetic beauty which consists in harmony of line and tone the most perfect human form has no more value than a splash of mud or rather both mud and human form disappear as irrelevant and all that is left for judgment is the arrangement of colour and form originally suggested by those accidental and indifferent phenomena in the greek view on the other hand though we certainly cannot say that the subject was everything and the treatment nothing for that would be merely the annihilation of art yet we may assert that granted the treatment granted that the work was beautiful the first and indispensable requirement its worth was determined by the character of the subject sculpture and painting in fact to the greeks were not merely a medium of aesthetic pleasure they were ways of expressing and interpreting national life as such they were subordinated to religion the primary end of sculpture was to make statues of the gods and heroes the primary end of painting was to represent mythological scenes and in either case the purely aesthetic pleasure was also a means to a religious experience let us take for example the statue of zeus at olympia the most famous of the works of phidias this colossal figure of ivory and gold was doubtless according to all the testimony we possess from a merely aesthetic point of view among the most consummate creations of human genius but what was the main aim of the artist who made it what the main effect on the spectator 
the artist had designed and the spectator seemed to behold a concrete image of that homeric zeus who was the centre of his religious consciousness the zeus who nodded his dark brow and the ambrosial locks waved from the king's immortal head and he made great olympus quake those who approach the temple says lucian do not conceive that they see ivory from the indies or gold from the mines of thrace no but the very son of chronos and rhea transported by phidias to earth and set to watch over the lonely plain of pisa he was says dion chrysostom the type of that unattained ideal hellas come to unity with herself in expression at once mild and awful as befits the giver of life and all good gifts the common father saviour and guardian of men dignified as a king tender as a father awful as giver of laws kind as protector of suppliants and friends simple and great as giver of increase and wealth revealing in a word in form and countenance the whole array of gifts and qualities proper to his supreme divinity the description is characteristic of the whole aim of greek sculpture the representation not only of beauty but of character not only of character but of character idealized the statues of the various gods derive their distinguishing individuality not merely from their association with conventional symbols but from a concrete reproduction in features expression drapery pose of the ethical and intellectual qualities for which they stand an apollo differs in type from a zeus an athene from a demeter and in every case the artist works from an intellectual conception bent not simply on a graceful harmony of lines but on the representation of a character at once definite and ideal primarily then greek sculpture was an expression of the national religion and therefore also of the national life for as we saw the cult of the gods was the centre not only of the religious but of the political consciousness of greece and an art which was born and flourished in the temple and the sacred grove naturally became the exponent of the ideal aspect of the state it was thus for example that the parthenon at athens was at once the centre of the worship of athene and a symbol of the corporate life over which she presided the statue of the goddess having as its appropriate complement the frieze over which the spirit of the city moved in stone 
and thus too the statues of the victors at the olympian games were dedicated in the sacred precinct as a memorial of what was not only an athletic meeting but also at once a centre of hellenic unity and the most consummate expression of that aspect of their culture which contributed at least as much to their aesthetic as to their physical perfection sculpture in fact throughout was subordinated to religion and through religion to national life and it was from this that it derived its ideal and intellectual character and so far as our authorities enable us to judge the same is true of painting the great pictures of which we have descriptions were painted to adorn temples and public buildings and represented either mythological or national themes such for example was the great work of polygnotus at delphi in which was depicted on the one hand the sack of troy on the other the descent of odysseus into hades and such his representation of the battle of marathon in the painted porch that led to the acropolis of athens and even the vase paintings of which we have innumerable examples and which are mere decorations of common domestic utensils have often enough some story of gods and heroes for their theme whereby over and above their purely aesthetic value they made their appeal to the general religious consciousness of greece painting like sculpture had its end in a sense outside itself and from this very fact derived its peculiar dignity simplicity and power from this account of the plastic art of the greeks it follows as a simple corollary that their aim was not merely to reproduce but to transcend nature for their subject was gods and heroes and heroes and gods were superior to men of this idealizing tendency we have in sculpture evidence enough in the many examples which have been preserved to us and with regard to painting there is curious literary testimony to the same effect aristotle for example remarks that even if it is impossible that men should be as zeuxis painted them yet it is better that he should paint them so for the example ought to excel that for which it is an example and in an imaginary conversation recorded between socrates and parrhesius the artist admits without any hesitation that more pleasure is to be derived from pictures of men who are morally good than from those of men who are morally bad in the greek view in fact as we saw physical and moral excellence went together and it was excellence they sought to depict in their art not merely aesthetic beauty 
though that was a necessary presupposition but on the top of that ideal types of character representative of their conception of the hero and the god art in a word was subordinate to the ethical ideal or rather the ethical and aesthetic ideals were not yet dissociated and the greatest artists the world has ever known worked deliberately under the direction and inspiration of the ideas that controlled and determined the life of their time end of chapter four section three recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey